0: Getting Split Getting Ready. Split Getting ready.
1: Split Ready. Getting Split Ready.
0: For my wife,
1: God, rest her soul. Oh God, I'm so
2: sorry.
1: No, no, no. She's not dead.
2: We're just divorced. Unscripted and honest discussions on divorce and separation.
1: Getting Split Ready. What was I supposed to tell him? I divorced you from the show?
2: Here's your hosts, Doug Katz and Mariah Pleasant.
1: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Getting Split Ready.
3: Great show here
1: for uh, February with us, we have Allison Turoff from the Cambridge Law Group. Oh. Or the Greenwich Law Greenwich. Camp. Cambridge. There you go. We <laughs> talked about it before. I guess practicing the Greenwich Law Group. I did that so we could say it a couple times. Josh Berngard from Buzzer Real Estate yes, sir. and one of our Divorce Realty Pros. We just did a five-question interview with him. You should check out on our blog. And Terry Vanover, who is one of our Divorce Coaching Pros. So uh-huh. we've got a lot going on right now. So, Josh. Yes. Super Bowl Just ended a couple weeks ago, right? Yes, sir. Start of the real estate season. Yes, it is. So, talk to me about what people getting divorced right now probably have to sell a property. What are they looking at in the next quarter? Uh,
2: Smiley faces and quick sales. It's uh, it's Mm -hmm. been wonderful with with the interest rates being as low as they are. Uh, As long as they stay where they are, things have the inventory has been moving extremely fast. So it really comes down to preparing your house for the sale, like together, which is the usually the issue that we have when when dealing with divorcees or getting ready uh, when they're when they're not fighting if they're if they're you know amicable, getting it ready and getting it on the market.
4: So if two people are thinking about divorce or they're in the contemplative stage, what would you tell them in terms of preparing the house? Because that is a challenge. Not only are they trying to figure out who gets what, but they want the house to look good in the process if they need to sell it.
2: You got it. So the first thing I would say is declutterize. Anything that you haven't used in the last 3 to 4 months, get it into a box and either get it in the basement, in a box, in the garage, somewhere out of the house.
4: 3 right? to 4 months, you're tough.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well again, all, all of our summer clothes, right? We we haven't used them in the last 3 or 4 months, box them up. Let the let the closet look like it has some room in it so it's not, you know, compact. And then anything else if you have kids, you know, all, all situations are going to change, but if you have that, Again, three or four months if you haven't used it, in my opinion, let's box it up. You're planning on moving anyways. I call it pre-packing.
4: Pre-packing.
2: Pre-packing. We're getting ready.
4: Got it. So if so if resources are tight, which they sometimes are in a divorce, um, where do they get the most bang for their buck in looking at the house? I know that when I sold a house a few years ago, uh, the realtor who looked at our house said the laundry room really needed a quick reno and it wasn't super expensive, but it really added value to the house because a lot of the other rooms were done but that one was important are there other rooms that you can think of or easy ways to get uh...
2: who that that is a really loaded question yes (laughs) um if we're talking about a house that has been updated at all right then by all means we can match the other rooms like it must like you just said half of your rooms were already done Mm -hmm. and then it was like oh the laundry room Mm -hmm. the scenario that i usually walk into is not just one room that hasn't been touched we're talking about multiple rooms that hasn't been touched and i always say to someone do not redo the kitchen and in the bathroom, if you haven't done it yet, the okay. idea is that you're going to pick a granite, or you're going to pick a quartz, or you're going to pick a, a countertop that's dark, where the next person is going to want light, right? We can discuss what hit you're going to take, and say, okay, if you do nothing, this is what we're going to sell for. If you do something, this is what you're going to sell for. And usually, the difference between, especially when negotiating, is it, it, it's, it's it's slim. Your well, and that's what I was going to ask. I was yeah. going to ask
1: Allison. You know, it's interesting, right? Because we got these crossover with the different professionals here. When the negotiation's going on for how how the divorce is going to turn out, and you're getting into a spring market, let's say, where you know that you can sell it better, and you're looking at some of the market conditions, how does that affect the negotiation for the, the divorce decree?
3: It actually becomes a pretty big issue. We try to plan in advance when people are not sure what they're going to be doing with the house. Come February, we start pushing really hard for people to make those decisions and decide are you selling? Is someone keeping the home and trying to refinance? What are we doing? Because this is when they're going to get the most money. Usually the attorneys want to be paid. Oftentimes we're getting paid out of the proceeds of that home. So we start really pushing hard in February, March too. And the judges are far more inclined to push the parties if they're not sure what they want to do during the spring market because they know they're going to be able to deal with that house more quickly too. What
1: about fixing things? Like what Josh is talking about, everybody's looking at the assets then. Are you more inclined in those negotiations and say, let the next person deal with it, let's get what we can and cut bait?
3: Yeah. We are normally dealing with so many different types of things. We, as the attorneys, generally try to leave that up to the realtors to negotiate. If they tell us, oh, look, put a few thousand dollars in and do this painting, do this cleaning, hire somebody to do this or that, well of course encourage the parties to do that especially if it's going to produce some sort of real change but otherwise we um let the realtor take the lead and if the, unless the parties are really fighting about you know one person really wants to invest money and the other one doesn't
4: a question that i get a lot and i think it's interesting from the legal perspective is what do we do if we've got agreement on most everything but we still haven't sold the house can the divorce be finalized before the house is sold, and how do we do that in a way that makes sense? What are your thoughts on that?
3: We do that all the time, actually. Um, And we do it in kind of a two-step process, so it sort of depends if the parties know for sure that they're selling. We try to make sure that they have agreed on a realtor, they've agreed on a list price, so we don't have an argument about that because that can sometimes be an issue as well. But if we have an agreement on the realtor and an agreement on the list price, then it gets kind of simple. Um, We'll have a separate side agreement that's not part of the court record that talks about reductions in list price over periods of time um, so that if there is a question, if the house is sitting there the parties aren't fighting later about what they should list it for or not list it for or re- um, reduce the list price. Um, so we keep that out of the court records so that any potential buyers can't go dig it up in the court file and use it against the sellers because buyers have been known to do that. They'll find out, they'll get wind that this house is being sold because it's a divorce mm-hmm. and they'll go pull the they divorce vulture. file. They vulture. They do. They will will go- Interesting. It's true. It's yeah. true. So we keep all those terms separate, and then we just have provisions in the agreement for how the proceeds will be divided. Usually they're paying off some debts, or they're just being divided between the parties somehow.
4: Terry, when you're coaching and you're talking to clients who are usually in the planning stages of divorce or thinking about it, or are they mostly engaged in it already?
0: It varies. I've got you know clients all over from the beginning process, which is the best time to have your resources and your support team there, right? Because you can be doing your healing and making sure that you're making the best decisions for your long-term future. Um, But, you know, it varies across the board.
4: Is the house usually one of the the first things that they're kind of kicking around and trying to figure out what on earth are we going to do with this?
0: I find that women are more emotionally attached to the home. So it's helping many of my clients' that have that emotional attachment to their home, understand what the long-term repercussions are and looking at the cost versus, you know, the benefits of keeping the home, like what is the best long-term decision. So, but it's also helping them to explore maybe some of those emotional aspects of, of giving up a home perhaps that they've raised their children with and so there's a lot of sentiment. And for a lot of my clients they might be grieving the loss of not only their marriage, but the loss of their home. So I think that's something to understand as you you're going through this. For you know, attorneys and realtors, they see this as a transaction, but for many people it is an emotional loss that they're experiencing. Loss
1: Both of, of you talked a little bit about realtors, right? Picking realtors. I would be interested to hear, one, what you look for in a realtor when you're referring, and two, why sometimes someone they might have used in the past might not be the right realtor for them in the divorce situation. So, Allison, first, what do you think?
3: Um, If the parties ask me, I will definitely specifically refer them to someone. Sometimes that gets tricky if it's a contested case. If it's a collaborative case, if the parties are working together amicably, that's different. But if it's a contested case, oftentimes neither party wants the suggestion of the other person's lawyer because somehow that's tainted. Um, so we don't do a lot of referrals in that way unless they specifically ask us to do that. Um, I will generally tell them, "Is there someone that you? If there's someone that you like, use them if you can both agree because it's just one less thing to argue about." Um, but if they have no suggestions and they're open to us suggesting people, then we'll do it. I usually confer with my opposing attorney though, before we do that, just so that everyone's on the same page. Um, and then if, I'm so sorry. Well,
1: generally like what you look for when you refer. like, do you mm-hmm. really think that there's such thing as like a divorced specialized realtor?
3: I think that there. Are. <laughs> Can I hey, that
1: up for you have right there? There's
2: yeah. one sitting right
3: there you to my me left. After
1: that's fine.
2: <laughs> there's only six
1: of us. Hey, that's why you're one of our divorce realtors. Right.
3: Yeah. yeah, I mean, no. What it's very helpful if you have someone who knows what it's what it's like to deal with parties who are getting divorced because um, the negotiations and dealing with people who have different goals. Sometimes some person, some people are less motivated to get out of the house than others. Um, I, can, I do not envy the divorce realtors because they are in a tough spot yeah. um, and they have to do a lot of negotiating between the parties and have a really good relationship with both of them that probably I would imagine is not the same when you have an amicable couple who is an intact family and they're just moving.
2: Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. So true. <laughs> Very true.
0: Yeah, sometimes that emotional attachment will cause resistance. Yeah, for sure.
4: So, Josh, as a uh, divorce realty pro, sure. what sets you apart or other professionals like you? or th- I mean, there are some probably that aren't uh, part of the six, yeah, yeah, but are sure. still better at it than others. And there's some who don't want to do- touch a divorce with a 10-foot pole. Yeah, What should people look for in a realtor when they're going through this?
2: So the truth is, have you ever done it before? Has anyone actually done a divorce situation before? Because like she, or again, you're on the radio, uh, as they, they both mentioned, uh, you know, there's always going to be one person, usually in the in, in the relationship that is the alpha, right? That's how relationships work. There's usually one alpha, especially in this situation. Someone's gonna be like, I wanna get rid of the house, the other one might not. So you have to realize, and especially what you're saying, to, to communicate with two people at the same exact time does not happen on my side of the business like she said, the one time when I get called in is usually when it's high conflict. I never get to sweet and amicable people because they're working with someone that they already know. So it's someone that's bringing me in. So it's really me having and willing to have the patience, if you will, to have two conversations at two separate times, communicating the same information and then getting them to cross paths without knowing they're crossing paths, right? So it's like, okay, so does this work for you? Does this work for you? And I'm like, oh, wonderful. Then it works for me too. And it's like their idea, not mine. It's it's the way of speaking with them because if not, it it is it is just when you know when I first started, when I didn't know anything, I would usually look at it as a normal transaction. It is not. These not. people, my two, my two <laughs> sellers, if you will, are not communicating. They don't want to help each other. It is it is this influx because the situation for me is they know that they need to sell normally by the time I get called in, right? you guys cannot afford it it's been said behind walls that you guys cannot afford to stay in this house together and one of you guys something buy or rent something else so the conversations already happened like this in best scenario we should liquidate this asset and like i said one person is usually really for it the other one is really not normally sometimes they're both amicable about that but working together The lies, deceits, and everything that goes on at the same time of us trying to liquidate something is not so easy. So what do you look for? Let me answer the question. First one, really good communicator. Have they ever done it before, right? Um, And I guess the third thing I would really tell someone to look for is to to have them sit down with them face-to-face and not only a phone call because you can get a lot from someone's body language and you'll know if you feel comfortable with that person instead of just saying here it is
4: i think there's an emotional capacity too that i I mean it is a transaction but it's a very difficult transaction for some more than others but for some it's really hard and i think to terry's point earlier not only are they mourning you know the house or the family that they've built in the house but a lot of people have projections of the future in that house what's christmas gonna look like with our grandkids in this house so they're mourning the future too so it's big it's huge and if you as a realtor haven't the capacity to deal with that don't want to deal with it which is fine i think then that's probably a challenge too for a realtor to to view it solely as a transaction when for some people it's so much more
2: it's always more right again like to your point the idea is if i if, if you're not emotionally attached right if i just sit in there and oh this is what we're going to do and you could see that they're they're they're, they're talking to one or the other person normally you're going to see that and then the other person is going to feel left out and like you said there is an emotional piece to this is like okay and In my estimation, when we're talking, the emotions that you're referring to have already crossed their mind. Mm-hmm. So now when I'm talking about it, like I said, I, I can look at them and see who is really distraught about what's going on. And then what when I start talking about what we have to do to get it ready, that's when it really hits. When I say to them, pack up all of your personal belongings, take every picture of your kids and of your family off the walls so people don't see it. Mm-hmm. you immediately I know who I'm talking to and who is going to be the individual that's going to start crying or tearing up or you know what that looks like and so definitely again the emotional piece is huge I just you know the psyche is is, is big in all sales I think but this is definitely something you have to be willing because the emotion is going to come at you it's going to come at you from two ways
4: and sometimes they just need to be able to come out and be heard and it it's part of that process that you have to
2: yeah, allow. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, 100%. It was great dialogue. I got to
1: bring it to a close on this, but question. Hit it. And you know, we went real deep. Someone's looking at trying to figure out what to do with the property going into spring. What's your call, I think?
2: So, wait, ask the question again? Based on the market, <laughs> what's
1: your call? Someone's got to figure out going into spring. Yeah. January, February, big divorce months. They're trying to figure out what to do with the house. What do you think?
2: Once again, it's a very loaded question. What do I think? I think that if in fact you need to sell because you can't afford it, this would be the time to get it on the market before the market changes, right? I don't know what the market's coming, but at this point in time, the projection is we should have a really strong first and second quarter. I
4: do have one more question for you. It came up in a conversation with a client today. Great. Um, Whether or not to get an appraisal of the home, one of them wanted an appraisal, The other wanted to get a competitive market analysis from the realtor and thought that that would carry just as much weight because the realtor has a better pulse on the market and what it'll actually sell for versus the appraiser. Thoughts?
2: Thoughts. Uh, I think both are great. Yes. I think the realtor, again, I, I agree with you, has a better pulse. However, the appraiser is what the bank is going to look at. The bank obviously decides no matter what I say it's worth and what you believe it's worth and what we sell it for, if the bank comes in and says it's less than, then I have to fight it. Which I fought a few times. But again, I would say cheaply, don't buy an appraiser. However, if someone's really pushing, it's $300, $400. If it's going to make it a little bit smoother, get the appraisal. Okay.
1: Great information. If somebody wants to get hold of you, I'm, I was going to ask where, but True. they can go to the Split Ready Divorce Pro
2: Network. Yes, they can. Look <laughs> you up, you're
1: there. Yes. Where else can they get hold of you?
2: Uh, you can go to com or our phone number, 312 927 5160. Awesome
1: split re- or getting split ready is brought to you by the split ready divorce pro network one of the internet's only curated certified and vetted directories of divorce professionals so you had a great great question earlier driving in you said I want to talk about this on the show I did yes you wanted to talk about why professionals would come on board like what what is what is compelling about becoming a divorce pro
4: I did I thought it would be important to get two of our newer Divorce Pros um, talking about why they joined and getting us to talk about a little bit what it is for, uh, what they get from joining the Divorce Pro Network and what it looks like. So awesome. let's do that.
1: So Josh, yes. you really stood out in that last segment. Talk a little bit about um, being a Divorce Pro. Why?
2: Um, well, the first reason is I feel that there's a big need for what I do. I mean, the, the, the essence of being one of six in Illinois that actually even pro- professionally specializes in it, there's, I can't handle it all, which is great to say. But by all <laughs> means, uh, there, there needs to be more um, focus on it. And so when the opportunity came to be a part of an organization that will help people inch their way towards, first of all, divorce, but understand it, that is why i wanted to just get involved.
1: Awesome. Actually, Terry, what about you?
0: So the reason i joined is 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 like jo- knowing people like Josh and you guys because i knew that behind me i had resources and trusted professionals that i i can trust and refer and know that y'all know what you're doing, you know. So that was a big reason why cuz just like Josh says, i don't know everything but I can definitely find someone
4: who can help you with that. So I don't know if I've done this before, but I have a question for you, Doug. Uh-oh. Um, you posted something on, uh, I don't know where you posted it, but you posted it's it It's on our week. blog. But so I shared it everywhere. Yeah, you right? shared I'm, it everywhere. I'm, I'm, so it I'm was depressing. everywhere. About why you got into the divorce niche and hmm. kind of explaining the misconceptions about it for all divorce professionals. Um, do you want to elaborate a little bit well, on that?
1: Yeah, I wrote it. it my, the name of it was, you know, what is it? Divorce pro is not equal to uh, pro divorce, or something. Love that. So, but I always get these questions of why am I doing this? Like, you get everything from people who say, "Boy, it must be great. You make a lot of money because everybody's always getting divorced," and they usually have bad statistics. Divorce is actually going down. I think it went down significantly in Chicago. In the Chicago, New York was the only place it went up, but it's actually getting smaller. But then people say, well, you know, you do it because it's it's easy pickings, like you're the Grim Reaper or, you know, some kind of vulture. And I think it's about helping people. I think what I see when we're bringing people on board and, you know, we, we work with you, there's, we don't really have a legal piece right now, with split ready, but working with you, there's, the, people are really dedicated to the best outcome of a bad situation that you can't avoid.
3: Absolutely. And what people don't really think about it first is that divorce, it's There's not just the legal process, there are all of these different areas that come into play. You have things like selling the home or refinancing, what are you gonna do with that? There's the financial component of people who don't know what they're doing and haven't really been in charge of the finances and now have to figure out how to manage their lives or how to manage their lives on an entirely new budget. The emotional component is outrageous, of course, as it should be, Um, but it's always different for each party even within the same family. Um, it's different from case to case. You you need to have people who know what they are doing. And right. it's helping people work through this process. It's not just a straight line. It's well, never you're, a straight you're line.
1: Really, like out of the three, you're probably most apt to refer, right? Someone comes in, they're following what everyone expects that you do when you get divorced, you know, go lawyer up, go talk to a lawyer first and you know, go down that path. So you're probably in the most often positioned to refer, what what do you look for? Obviously you have your people, because I hear that coming out and what you're saying is, you know, they have to be able to do this and have to be able to do that. How do you select them?
3: Well, part of it is being a part of networks like this where you get to know people, you have cases with them in the past. Um, Sometimes it's just by happenstance, like meeting anybody else. You happen to work with someone on a case and you like how they've worked and how they treat your clients. For me, a big part is the respect that they show my client my client is the source of my business going forward. So I want them to feel like they have been treated well by everyone else that I suggest that they work with in all of these other tangential areas. Um, so respect for my client is a big component. Um, compassion so, for so the client. So just using the
1: Google machine is not the best way to do it.
3: For sure not. Not for finding any professional for anything, probably. There you go. <laughs> you know, it's no different than why there's Angie's List um, for home improvement right, or any of those other types of sites because you can Google repair guy, that doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna find someone who actually will do a good job and will do it well and treat you with respect.
1: Now that said, if you Google split ready, you come to the premier place for, for help.
3: Of course. Well, I think the difference
4: in the directory that we're putting together though is that it's multi-layered, right? So everyone knows that you need, well, most people need some help going through a divorce. Some people do it without an attorney, but they're still going to potentially need other professionals. They're going to need someone to potentially help them sell the home, potentially a financial person. I think it's important to note that next to the premature loss of a spouse from death, like a spouse dying in an accident early on, there is nothing more financially impacting to a couple than divorce. That's it. So it's a big deal on the emotional scale. It's a big deal on the financial scale. It's got big legal ramifications. It is the dissolving of a legal partnership. Um, so well, there's even safety, other there's safety and other
1: considerations. There's
4: safety and other considerations. Let's not forget the mental health component. Uh, we take care of our bodies. We need to take care of our minds too. So finding different professionals, but they're all professionals aren't the same, right? When you go to a doctor, if you need your eyes checked, you're not going to go to a general physician. So you need a lawyer that specializes in divorce. But even beyond that, we've had lawyers who you know, take a meditative approach. We have lawyers who are mediation trained. We have lawyers who are well, better in trial. Well, that's why we trial. broke that because th- so we've that's got why, the search criteria, yeah. Correct. You know, we have um, professionals with different hobbies or different interests. We have, you know, some that take religion more into account or faith more into account. So finding someone who matches with your interests on a level more than just the professional you know, title gonna, is really to, important.
1: We have to add Zen. I'm, I'm studying Zen right now and it's not on there yet. we got to add that you are. as one of my things. Yes. it's <laughs> been made my house very peaceful. It's a great thing.
4: Um, Terry, I know that you have a personal story um, with divorce and you probably hear more of the personal aspects from people as they're going through this than maybe I do on the financial side or on the legal side. What do you tell people when they're looking for a professional? What is your advice to them, whether it's a lawyer or financial or a real estate? How do you kind of help them find the right person?
0: Yeah, a big part of what I do is because I've been through divorce myself, I want to help people avoid the mistakes that I made. And one of those was not knowing that there's other professionals that can help you through divorce. I didn't talk to a like financial person. I didn't talk to a mortgage broker. I didn't talk to anyone. Obviously, it bankrupted me, lost my house. And while I was going through the divorce, I lost my mom. I was hit by a van. I was homeless. It was just like terrible. So I am really passionate about helping people avoid those mistakes, and you know, helping them clarify and and making sure, like you said, different circumstances are need different professionals. So it's important to understand what's important for you, and it's a case by case situation. You know, this this attorney might be good for, for one case, not so much for another one. This attorney might be a better match for this situation. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 all individualized. So it's, it's making sure that people don't make the mistakes. It's so many people, as we know, I think that's why we're all passionate about this. It's about coming through this dark, dark time. For me, it was the darkest time of my life and coming through it, you know, the best that you possibly can, making the best out of a really Horrible situation. horrible situation
4: and i think we need to remove some of the shame mm-hmm. around it and look mm-hmm. at it at you know when someone gets cancer we look at it as a catastrophic illness you don't just have you know a doc in the box check you out and go on your way you have a team of physicians that help yes. you with each you know part of the process same thing with divorce it's a catastrophic life event it changes your trajectory if you don't get the proper care yeah you're not going to heal per- fully from it, and it's no different than a catastrophic disease, and it's not anyone's fault. I think is one of the big things that we looked at when we were building this was educate yourself, figuring out the best path for you, you're
1: picking the right team.
2: Yeah, I mean, you hit a you hit a chord about the shame piece, right? The idea is that some people, you know, again, you meet at one point in time in your life and you're one place, and all of a sudden you, you grow apart. So, so to stay uh, in, a, in a in a unhealthy situation is, I think better, right? You're, you're taking care of yourself saying, listen, I can no longer be here. Yeah. I need to move on or this doesn't work for me any longer. And I see a lot of people not able to deal with that. And, and the shame pieces I should, I should be able to, and that's a should, like when you say should do something, it's really shaming yourself. So I really agree with you. And that's another thing that split ready has, right? Yeah. And those resources that you really need. And so, the, you know, again, the community is large and there's only so much, individuals can do even if it's a room right you know i can only handle so much (laughs) each
1: person really specializing on their uh on their strengths you know i think when when ryan and i were putting it together kind of harkens back to when i was in the military right you build a task force out of the right people and you probably have a have a good operation so great great input on that split ready is brought to you by split ready the premier place to start and manage your divorce so i've been sitting here since we started the show going Toxic, sneaky, toxic, sneaky, which way do I want to go? So we're going to go toxic first. (laughs) So you had a, when we were talking about, about a good topic, you really talked about toxic relationships, right? Mm -hmm. And based on the story, you know, that you kind of just started down, you know, talking about your background it sounds like that you have some experience, and you can really bring that to your, your clients. So talk a little bit about how you define a toxic relationship.
0: Yeah, since we've hit on shame and all kinds of stuff, um, you know, you probably hear from my accent. I'm not from <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> no. So I grew up just like a poor country girl from Virginia. That's where I'm from. But I grew up with a lot of shame, and um, my alcoholic father abandoned My mom, after their divorce, when I was three years old and I was sexually abused by a family member and we were poor, my mom had little education, you know, we had little money. So I grew up with a lot of those feelings and I brought a lack of, of, you know, love of myself, low self-esteem, a lot of shame of of who I was and and feelings of abandonment into my marriage and my marriage fell apart after a few short years because I brought all of that right into my marriage. And so many people, like Josh says, it, you know, there's a lot of stigma and shame around divorce. But in some cases, divorce can be a healthy alternative in, rather than staying in a toxic marriage. And a lot of what I do is help people heal from those toxic marriages. And, it, you know, the earlier, the better. The, the The clients that come to me right at the beginning so that we can make sure that they're making clearer decisions along the way, uh, even better, so we navigate the logistics of divorce. That's a big part of it. But a huge part of it is healing from toxic relationships because... I'm very passionate, like Doug says, like we are not pro-divorce, we're actually pro-marriage. And a big part of what I do is you've got to heal yourself because if you don't, you're just gonna repeat the mistakes. Although the divorce rate is going down, Second marriage divorce rates actually in the last year have gone up. So if you have children in a second marriage, you are likely to divorce at a rate of 70%. That's, wow. that's a new statistic that just came out. And I was like, holy mackerel. But it's it's really not that surprising to me because I work with a lot of, of stepmoms. And so you think your first divorce, so you bring all your baggage, right? You already have your baggage and you don't heal that. And then you you blame the partner, and then then you have a, a second marriage and then you throw in step kids, a high conflict ex and then all the stuff that you didn't heal the first time around. So it's no surprise to me that that it's 70 percent because you, all the additional stressors that are on a second marriage is it, just doomed. And you think about that like. 70% like you would not get on an airplane if you knew the chance of that crash and was 70% but people get married and without really taking a really good look at themselves and that's the first step in healing from a toxic relationship is accepting responsibility for where you didn't show up in the marriage or taking responsibility for for missing the red flags and it's not a blame thing I'm not it's not about blame but like Taking a real good look at yourself and saying, okay, where didn't I show up? Maybe I was a people pleaser and I really didn't speak my truth and my voice got damped down throughout the relationship. Mm -hmm. And I kind of let myself not have a voice in this marriage. So the first step, it's not about blame. But it is when you, when you take responsibility, you actually take back your power and you're no longer a victim. You're no longer a victim to your ex or the circumstance or any situation.
1: So we, the, kind of the subject we we're talking about, obviously, is this sur- moving on from a toxic relationship. And I'm dying to know, Allison, like, not that you're transactional, kind of the way I am with a mortgage, but you're dealing with a finite amount of time with that divorce. But if someone's in a really toxic situation... How much of that carries on? Like, talk about the relationship for you guys. after. Because Sometimes you're still drawn into stuff.
3: Oh, we are drawn into it a lot. And in fact, um, it's not necessarily related to the parties themselves, but there's a whole big push within the divorce professional community to deal with the secondhand stress that we get from our clients because um, despite all of our very strong recommendations that they seek actual professional mental health assistance. Um, they tend to try to use us, and my BA in psychology from a million years ago does not qualify <laughs> no. me to help people on the, in this level of um, difficulty in their life. As it was mentioned, it's catastrophic. Um, so they tend to use the attorneys, and any other professional that they can get to. Yeah, I'm right there with you. The real attorney. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with right? you. Yeah. A- anyone else that they can get to, they use them because they're going through this horrific, horrific time. And oftentimes they need to express it in all of these different ways. And anyone they can find, they will let them know. Do you know.
1: ever walk away? Is it ever so toxic that you look at the parties and go, no, I, there's no way I can do it. it even if it paid... Double my double my, my my rate. I'm not gonna do it.
3: Sure. Uh, yeah. There are definitely times where that happens. It's not that often, at least not right away that you see that. Oftentimes it doesn't present itself that as being that horrible at the
2: start. Right. You find out about it too late. Yes, for sure. Why did in? they say they had gone through twelve attorneys <laughs> prior to <laughs>
3: Oh no no. If, yeah. if it's been more than two attorneys, then you're already very concerned. But I think
4: it was interesting when you said earlier that one of the sentiments you get is that you know, being a divorce professional makes you pro divorce, or that, you know, it's easy money to be vultures on the and what I think is under realized, as you said, is that it's not easy. It's tough. There are days When I'm done with a mediation where I am just depleted and done and it takes a lot out of you and you have to find ways to to take care of yourself as well. And we preach it. We have to figure out ways to do it as well. But to your point, I think that, you know, as mediators, we do a lot of reframing. How do we reframe this? And I think as people go through the process, they can learn to reframe what is to many a huge failure and reframe it as you know, an example. I think one of the clearest ways to get people to think about it differently is, you know, I don't want to end the marriage. I don't want this to happen to my kids. I don't want my kids to have a broken home. I don't want them to have to move. What would you tell your daughter or your son if they were in a toxic relationship? Would you want them to stay for their family? And once you switch that around, then they realize that they're actually setting an example and that they are entitled to be happy, that they are entitled to be loved because that's what they would want for other people. It's just really hard to get that that full transitional shift to think about it that way. Yeah, well, it's
0: the fear that holds them in there. Yeah, but understanding that they're really, it's really not benefiting your children by sacrificing yourself. Yeah, I think the reframing is super important.
3: Absolutely, because then what does it teach your children? It teaches your children that it's okay to stay in a toxic relationship, that they should sacrifice themselves and their well-being to stay in their own toxic relationships when the time comes.
4: And they'll copy, as you said, the baggage that you bring. They'll learn to not have a voice or they'll learn to be a bully or whatever it is that you're bringing to the relationship. And we all bring something that doesn't work. It's never just someone's fault. Right. But then they're not only going to see a bad example, they're going to learn bad behaviors. So it's yeah. important. To well, well, and
1: it's and, and what people don't realize is for guys like you, when it's toxic and you got to meet with two different clients, two different days, <laughs> pitch them twice, manage all the, the things so that, that – God forbid that those two volatile things get close together. I mean, you've told me stories where yep. you're basically earning half a paycheck because you're running your butt around dealing with both people. It's true.
2: And two attorneys. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So no, yeah. three,
1: because there's, there's two, an attorney for each party and then the real it, estate. Attorney. Correct. Yeah. So correct. throwing a third one in there. Yeah.
2: The trifecta. The trifecta. <laughs> That's very true.
4: So what advice Terry would you give to people um, early on? Right. So they're, how do they know they're in a toxic relationship? Cause it's thrown around a lot now, you know, toxic relationships, personality disorders, I think have gotten tossed yeah, around a are. bit. I mean, how do people really know? Everybody's is a narcissist is kind of what I've Yeah, seen. yeah. statistically impossible, but yes, everyone is. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think if you,
0: the, the number one sign that I tell people, you're in a really toxic relationship. If you are constantly second guessing yourself and feeling, am I crazy? That is a big sign. If you cannot trust yourself, if you know, or you know something's off, and like, Doug, I'm a big Zen person. But like, if you if you, you know, really tap into yourself, and you just can't figure out like what's off, or it's the second guessing when you find yourself constantly second guessing yourself, and feeling like, am I crazy? And wanting to like record conversations with the person that you're married to—that's a sign that you're in a toxic relationship. <laughs> oh my God, I just used the sign that was the really redneck one. <laughs> you know yeah. Your, yeah. you know your you know you're when in a toxic relationship <laughs> when yeah, you're thing. recording yourself. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but that's so you, but you can imagine how horrible how how bad the relationship has gotten if you were mm. at the verge of like I'm going to record us because you know it's you really need some help there.
3: Oh, well actually though, recording is one of the things that I was gonna talk about because you can't No, I yeah, i sneaky. But if that's your
0: mindset like right. you know, I can't trust what he's saying or I feel manipulated or I can't trust what I'm thinking, you know, and you you're fine in yourself Thinking that, yeah.
3: Oh, and that's why a lot of people do it, and then they and they do record their spouses, and they come to me and say, "But I really just did it because I needed to show someone that this that is I'm what's going crazy. on. That I'm yeah, not crazy. That, yeah, it's a felony. Don't do it. <laughs> All right, no, we're, gonna, we're gonna
1: end with that because I love that. It's that, a felony. That, don't that don't
4: do it. <laughs> so, um, so we're starting a new uh, written segment on the Split Ready website, kind of called "In the Trenches," with the Split Ready professionals. Kind of telling stories about the cases that they've been involved in and what they've learned from them. I think because as professionals, we do learn something from every case that we're in. um, And to be able to share those stories, not only with other professionals, but with people going through it, maybe people can learn from us as well. Um, And one that I had recently was, I think as we get going in our careers, sometimes we cut corners here and there because we think we're, you know, we're good at stuff. And I kind of went back to basics recently because I always do that to myself to kind of recheck. And I did a full screening for domestic violence in a way that I haven't done in a while. And it turned out that it existed in a relationship that I don't think I would have found if I had done the the lighter version that I'd become more accustomed to. Um, Both are fine within like the guidelines of what we should ask, but I did a little bit deeper dive and I found out information I wouldn't have had otherwise. And it was really important to the mediation itself to come out with an agreement that they could actually stick to. So I thought I would throw it to you guys as well. Things that you might've learned recently or stories that you've had recently that were impactful for you or that really kind of brought you back to some clarity on why we do what we do and things that are important when we do it.
3: I've had a few clients recently, somewhat similarly where I think in part because of where they are in their own healing process they have not actually told me very, very serious things that have happened between um, my clients and their respective spouses until far into the process, far later than I would have really preferred because I would have approached their respective cases totally differently had I um, Mm. found out that information much sooner. One involved um, domestic violence. Um, Another one was more of a a manipulation situation. Mm. Um, But probably i mean again my ba in psych does not qualify for me to say this but probably on some sort of diagnosable level um, where the they were acting in ways that and if i had understood where my clients what they had been dealing with i would have approached their cases differently and then i go back to how how do i get that information if the client's not yet ready to tell me because some of these things are not things i would have thought to
4: ask Right, how do we, do we ask it differently? Or is it something that's just not going to come out? We have to kind of look at how we're, yeah, I agree. Look at how we're doing it. What about you guys, anything recent?
2: Lucky for me, I have not had anything recent that has enlightened, enlightened me. Um, You're newlywed, you got to stay away from the bad, yeah, 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 the bad karma, yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot, a lot of my, um, I guess, lessons learned was in the beginning <laughs> Uh, and then let's say in the last three or four years that we've been doing it and uh, towards the last six months, I, I haven't. Uh, the difference is, is I don't actually approach it any differently though, right? So my process, because I put systems together, I, I haven't cut corners yet, right? So when I'm doing it, it's, it's the same time every time. And I don't hear, again, in my, in my approach it's getting them to communicate without knowing it. And then once I get the, the, you know, again, get into it, I'm hearing everything you're hearing, whether it be domestic, whether it be, I can't believe he did this, what he's doing right now, or what she's doing, uh, you know, where the relationship, I will hear from both sides what is happening. And it was in the beginning that I wasn't able to be a mediator. I was just like, I was listening and I was commenting and okay. I realized commenting was the worst thing I could ever have done. Um, and so now I, I am, uh, a mediator in the sense that I will listen. I will, I will acknowledge, I will reflective listen, but I will not pick a side. Um, and that was very hard for me in the beginning. And now, like I said, I, I have learned from shame on me mistakes that I have made in the past.
4: That's a good one. Yeah.
1: Well, the thing I'm coming across more and more is humor. Like all these people, you know, it's one of these things where. You
4: mean like when a phone goes off in the middle of a podcast recording? There you go, like that. <laughs> no, but I'm not talking
1: like Henny Youngman, you know, making jokes about marriage and divorce, but just being light and, and, and not, you know, because they're thinking about the divorce. If you can make someone laugh, man, that changes everything. Yeah. And there's a couple of clients where, you know, just something was funny going on. Go figure something in the news or something going on around, uh, around our country and plenty of that you know, this year yeah there's plenty <laughs> of that um but uh you know just uh, just something to take their mind off it and and laugh you, you hear people say you know thanks and they're not you know i think sometimes we talk about divorce and it's like you know you picture these franciscan monks like whipping themselves and like you know this chanting kind of depressing that's what thing. you picture when you think of was, divorce no <laughs> i'm saying like this like this <laughs> depressing like you just hear those kind of like like uh what is a chance you know where it would just be like really <laughs> depressing but really a lot of them a lot of people it seems like in that situation are looking for reasons to not think about it and reasons to move toward that sunrise right instead of instead of the sunset
0: yeah yeah i think something that i've learned is the sooner you start the healing process the better like the sooner you just start again taking accountability for You know where you didn't show up in the relationship or you know where you didn't show up for yourself really the better because you just really are doomed to repeat the same mistakes it's just a different body you know Mm -hmm. and and like we're like we said earlier we are products of our environment and unless you do a huge shift your children are more likely to repeat the same mistakes but it is it is fixable You can heal, you can transform, you can get beyond this. And like I think you said earlier, like when you reframe divorce rather than looking at it as the worst thing. And you're like, look at it as this is an opportunity for growth. How can I learn? What can I learn about myself? What can I learn about communication? Because I think, Allison, you kind of said something earlier about, and we've been talking about how divorce, it's not really ending a relationship. You're really not. You're just changing that that relationship it's shifting so you're still going to have to deal with this person most likely so Especially the better if there's you, kids yep right yeah so the sooner you take a look at yourself and figure out how can i heal myself and handle this and 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 come to a better place in my life the better you're going to be for you and your kids and
1: when it works you remain friends but it seems like when it doesn't work we're going to talk about that split ready is brought to you by the split ready assessment 5 minutes and you'll have Red, green, and yellow ratings on the different aspects of divorce that split-ready espouses that you'd be ready for. So, Allison, mm-hmm. I've been waiting on this one because I want to hear you. You had you had said that you present a lot about sneaky things people do. And my guess is probably toxic relationships, but sneaky things people do. And we were hinting at it with recording, but enlighten me.
3: Um, yeah, it's it's actually been a little while since I've done it, but I've done several uh, articles and presentations on people and and all the different kinds of eavesdropping and other types of sneaky things that people like to do. Um, handy dandy phones, especially now, then they all have their recording devices um, and you can hold it in your hand and everyone's always holding their phone in their hand. So no one ever knows when it's on or not. Um, you can't record people, you cannot record their conversation without permission, but people do it all the time. What
1: if it's, what if it's in a house though? And it's um, part of a security system or something that it's recording. It is it because intent?
3: It's partly intent. The statute defines it in part about intent. It's also about whether the other person knows that it's there or not. Mm. Um, it also depends on whether there's oral communication or not. So if it's a nanny cam, that's just the video, that's different than yeah. if it's yeah, than if it's audio and video, because it's a holdover for when people would tap phones. Right, like mm. literally a holdover. But from, I'd
1: hire a lip reader, right, as George Costanza did. Right. Yes. <laughs> I'd hire the lip reader.
3: Absolutely, um, but if you you can actually not record someone in a home, even if it's just video, either. But that's somehow less of a, an offense. At least it was. It was only a misdemeanor. It was like a peeping tom law, um, and you have to know that it's that they're being recorded. That's why every time you call any sort of Company ever, you get that speech that about how your the customer service people are recording you. It's for this reason because it's both a state and a federal felony to record a conversation without someone's express or implied permission. So people do all kinds of things. They put software on your computer. Mm-hmm. They guess your password. They guess your password again after you changed it because you used your dog's name instead of your kid's name. No, I just wrote, didn't I? write wrote something <laughs> on that too. I love that. Mm-hmm. They read your emails between you and your attorney because they guessed your password or you have a shared iCloud account. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. They call. everything since Everything's automated now. They can, if they know your social security number, and most spouses know each other's social security numbers, right? Um, they call the bank. They call the automated number. They put in the social security number and they get copies of statements sent to them in the mail because mm-hmm. wow. they can because everything's automated. Um, so it can sort of run the gamut from something like that using information well, you totally, they already if know. you could
1: log in, you could totally crash their accounts completely.
3: Absolutely. Wow. You can. You can hack their, you can Has, access their Have you ever seen anyone, Facebook, ever seen anyone
1: um, like do something to get fired where they where they logged on to their work account and did something?
3: Not mm. like that. I have seen people get information and then complain to the boss about it so it's not where they've gone and like messed up i I personally have not seen a spouse go in access their spouse's work computer this is why you
1: should never marry a hacker
3: never marry a hacker so when i worked (laughs) in banking years ago
4: um i did work with a woman who pulled up her soon-to-be ex-husband's accounts on her work computer because she wanted to see how much money he had and literally the next day security was there and she lost her job Wow. That's yeah. how much they watch it, oh but yeah, like they came in like, boom. so it does happen. Oh, and then Apple. she just had access to it because she worked there. But yeah, um people look at stuff even though they're not supposed to. I had a client whose child had a um specific watch, not an Apple Watch, something like that, and you can call it, and if they don't pick up after a certain amount of rings, it answers. So they would call it while they were with the other parents and they could listen to hours of the interactions at the other parents house without the other parent knowing people are sneaky.
3: Exactly. And that one, since it's not necessarily being recorded, probably would still fall under the felony because it's like the it's like the tap. Right. Um, But way back when there was a case when someone literally back when people had landline phones with extensions um, (laughs) and it was all the same number if you picked up the phone, if I if I was talking on the phone in the kitchen, oh, yeah. and my spouse picked up the phone in the bedroom and listened to my it's phone like conversation. Casino. De Niro sitting there yeah. listening to. That say? was not eavesdropping. So in this case, I don't know if it would be or not. Interesting. Because u- it was kind of like that, but they were using electronics, so who knows? They probably haven't gotten there yet. The law is kind of far behind in catching up with what technology can do. People have done things like keystroke logging programs where they install mm-hmm. the software on the computer and they can, the software will then record all the keystrokes onto, that you use onto your computer and get your passwords and figure out who you're emailing and figure out what now, accounts you were hiding or do people do this more like during else. the divorce
1: or before, is it where you are dealing with clients and they're like, listen, all the stuff I did before I got divorced or is it you're finding out when they're, after they filed?
3: Oh, so um, sometimes it's it's both, right? It's while they're still, it's usually, but not always while they're still living with their spouse. Um, not always by any stretch, um, but it's not always before they've, it's not always only before they have filed. Mm. Oftentimes they're still living together or at least still seeing each other often enough that they're able to access things or, or they've separated, but they still have one iCloud account, right? Because their cell phones are all still on, one cell phone plan an
1: easy simple fix right to not do that
3: correct do you
1: have Have you ever had i mean it seems like we're always talking like in this discussion about the other person doing it have you ever had a you did what type moment with a client where they're your client and they did something completely stupid
3: yes <laughs> i have and i've had to refer them to criminal attorneys right because no then well sure because then of course what happens what always happens is the other side gets wind of it and then they ask you to produce the evidence in discovery. And that creates a Fifth Amendment problem.
1: Wow. Now, do you see? <laughs> Depending
3: on the issue, right? Depending on what happened. But yeah, I've had like twice where I've had to refer people to criminal attorneys.
1: Wow. Now, Terry, what do you see? Because you've got to be dealing with, you're coaching these people through the process. And, you know, I've just had friends who've gotten divorced and they've told me stories about what people are doing to each other that's crazy. You deal with a lot of really high conflict stuff.
0: Yeah, but (laughs) I mean, I, yeah, the exes are pretty sneaky, but my, my clients are kind of in that healing process. of kind of like wanting to come out of it more amicably less conflict, but I can't think of anything offhand. All right. Then Josh, do you check
1: for bugs and stuff when you, when you're dealing with a, with a divorce situation? Do you have to check the house, make sure there's no nanny cams?
2: After this conversation, I might need to get a scanner <laughs> because I never thought about it, uh, to be honest. And I, and I don't hear how they got the information. I just hear the I hear these conversations. Uh, I never ask, like, how they got onto their email or, or how they know what they know. Now I'm realizing there's a whole bunch of, kind of sneaky <laughs> things. And no, I don't check the house for anything. Uh, and as a matter of fact, as realtors, we actually have to, like you just said, like on some showings I do, if there's a security system or if we're being recorded or anytime I see an Alexa, I actually walk in and I tell Alexa to play music because you can't play music and record at the same time. So just to make sure like if someone's listening to us, I actually make, it, make Alexa wow. play music. So wow. I've gotten that trick over because-
4: Interesting. yeah.
2: I would want to hear what someone is looking at my house is saying about it. That. I remember they had a show where they would. Yeah. Do that,
4: yeah. <laughs> well, then wouldn't the ring doorbell cross some lines as well too? Because anybody- well, see,
1: I think it's the intent thing, right? So mm-hmm. if there's it's no always sound. recording, you're not recording for the sole purpose uh, of that individual.
3: Well, right, that is absolutely part of it. I'm ready for the bar. And there's no sound. And there's no sound, so then there's not. No rings have sound. Oh, you but don't sound. isn't it? Don't you have to like hit the button or whatever in order you, for you to record well, it, the sound? Like,
1: the one I have, it's recording, and then you can put. Like live, you know, I'll see it and it sends just pictures. But if I listened, if I kind of click on some button, then you can hear Mm -hmm. and do all kinds of stuff.
4: So I think that's interesting, too, because we talk about in relationships, there's usually an alpha or someone's more financially savvy. Usually in relationships, someone's also more technology savvy um, than the other. And I joke with my husband, like if he wanted to find out his own information, he'd probably have to hack in because he doesn't do any of this stuff online. And so there's usually one person who could probably access a large amount of the other person's and maybe not vice versa, so that's interesting. I'm yeah. wondering how much of it's illegal.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, because um, the law has really not caught up with technology at all. Um, several years ago now, there was the fir- was just the first case of someone guessing a password. It was a federal case down in the south somewhere, I don't recall where, but um, it was the first time that someone had actually tested, um, is it illegal if I just guess your password? and they said it was not they they frowned upon it strongly and they you know did the tisk tisk and the finger wag but um if you if your password is your kid's name and your dog's name and your address and your birth date and your spouse See, or, who, or, or your spouse's passwords. friend or whoever can password. guess it interesting yeah so um that was a little while ago but that was the first test they said it didn't violate federal law
1: So wait then what's the difference right if you think of like Hollywood lawyers they always have their guy right like that, you know, you might have a crooked nose and he sends them out like following people, right? So like mm-hmm. some detective or some mm-hmm. fixer. But how is that different than technology, right? And are there still guys like that is what I want to know.
3: <laughs> well, there are still private detectives. and you can... Are
1: there cool ones? <laughs> <laughs> are there
3: are still cool ones with the crooked noses. Yeah, the yeah, crooked noses know. and the trench coats. <laughs> um, The George Clooney's and whatever that movie was. Mm-hmm. Um, there are still PIs. None of the ones I have met look like George Clooney, Um, but it's different. What's different there is that they are watching somebody do something and then they are reporting back to the court, I witnessed A, B, or C happen. But can
1: they use the same technological things that you said were no-nos because they are in a different capacity?
3: Generally not, but it sort of depends on like if it is a jointly owned vehicle you may be able to put a tracking device on the vehicle because it's jo- because if it's your own property mm-hmm. you might be able- you have different rights to do things with it than you do if it's owned do people come you and say
1: can i get away with this
3: Yes. There well, you go.
1: Like, <laughs> no, I'm not saying what the answer is, no. But, so but like, it's funny. the way you were describing it, yes. I'm people like, I could just that. see someone saying, okay, what about if it's our car, and I put it right in the middle, so it's not her seat, where she usually, you know. So
4: Well, then why wouldn't I be able to bug my own home? Why is that different?
3: So, you you can, right? And you it's not that you can't use a nanny cam. Of course you can, right? Or you can use um, those kinds of things. But people generally... Spend I haven't had a case where people have recorded with a surreptitious video camera in their own home. Okay. Um, most that's why most of the laws apply to other people's gotcha. places. Um, but you, may, it might be different if it's um, your own home and you're trying to uh, record your kids or record your ex who's coming to pick up the kids if they don't know. It's sort of it would it, it's sort of a gray area. Um, but generally speaking, you can, right, use recording devices in your own home. The very first thing I ever had was back when I was a law clerk. Um, and the na- one one set of neighbors had a security camera system. And their security camera system picked up the feed for the next door neighbor's mm-hmm. security camera system. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was actually – it was – Very lucky in some respects that it happened because there was some terrible child abuse going on in that neighbor's home. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah. But the whole question that I had to deal with with the court for the the judge was research whether that video was admissible because did they they intend to pick up the neighbor's recording? Um, So to your point, Doug, intent is a big part of it. It's part of the statute.
1: Got it. So you just have to have a good reason. (laughs) Not that I'm thinking how do you get away with it. (laughs) <laughs> taking notes
3: how many loopholes are there
1: exactly exactly we should make a checklist to put it up there terry what do you think about some of this
0: yeah i it it doesn't surprise me how low some people will go it's because again it emotions get involved and people sometimes i think divorce brings out the negative in people good people good people do not so good things during mm-hmm. divorce because they're, they 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 don't see the long term ramifications the long term effects they don't they don't have a vision for after the divorce mm-hmm. they're just in like survival mode
1: so what do you do and this is kind of a side note but like if, if someone does some kind of crazy stuff do you do you try and point them in a different direction like or if they're doing something sneaky and you're like this i'm not a lawyer but this isn't going to end well kind of thing like what do you do
0: yeah absolutely yeah i don't give legal advice or anything like that. But it is about holding you accountable. Like, one of the first things we do is write a vision statement for your life. And and for this divorce, like, how do you want it to look at the end? Is this staying true to your vision? Is this constructive? Or is this destructive? Like, it's really sometimes you just really honestly, I hold up a mirror to people. And it's not always easy if they're seeing something that they don't like. And generally, people will change. Generally, people will want to take a better course of action if they see that what they're doing is not contributing to what their goal is.
3: A lot of what I've seen people do is out of fear. They're afraid of what their Mm -hmm. lives are going to look like after the divorce. They're afraid of not having their kids or not having their kids as often. They're afraid of how much money they will or will not have after the divorce. And they can't picture that future; they don't have that vision, and so they're kind of clawing at whatever they can that they think will help give them some security about what that will look like. And that's
0: like, Doug, that's like half of what I do is like seeing beyond the fear. We gotta get past this fear. This fear is, you know, a thought that you have, and that's not reality. It's It's a story. story You gotta let go of that story, and we gotta get you past it. Yeah.
1: Well, and I and I'm thinking, you know, we've been talking technology and some deeper stuff too, but. I gotta ask Josh. Like yeah. my family, right? Big fans of Step Brothers, right? right? And and when they're trying to sell the house, right? The two brothers are like trying to completely deep six it, and they're dressing up like you know the KKK and dressing up like people getting killed, right? You've seen that movie, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So what are some of the craziest things that people sneaky things to to Ew. to to mess with a, a transaction?
2: Oh yeah. Uh, Why well, I got oh, God. Uh, So <laughs> See, I, I knew have, that'd be a good question. I have... I have uh, one gentleman, uh, it was last year, uh, his wife works quite often uh, out of town, and he kept putting the garbage in the basement instead of outside. So it reeked down there, and he was hiding it inside closets, behind clothing. It was like an
1: upper-decker, but for the entire
2: house. You got it. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. Um, That was like the... It was a horrible experience because I, I had to obviously and of find course it. you had to clean to it, up. Smell it. Yeah, exactly. I, got, like, okay. I had to figure it out. I'm like, what is happening? And, and they, no idea, right? Like, I, I mm-hmm. have no idea what's going on. You know, so I, I had to investigate, and I and I found it. We're talking, we're talking about bags though. We're talking about, you know, I think it was like a month and a half worth of maybe garbage. He was, maybe he was composting. Maybe. Any other, any other <laughs> good stories? <That laughs> yeah. was awesome. Uh I have. I have uh, one. Uh, it was actually uh, a couple that let one of the couples I, I don't know which one because no one ever let, let the dog go to the bathroom in the inside instead of taking him out oh, God. every wow. time and so that'll hurt a property yeah. you got it well not even that the walls were turning yellow the carpet is changing uh. Wow. Uh, I mean I mean I mean horrible right um even even at one point in time there was um what word should I use a- a- escrement on the walls oh Like man. spread so like, I mean you wrote something? I just spread it. Oh wow! Like uh, like a kid would, you know, in their like childhood, like, chimpanzees, right? and yeah, like, <laughs> <made> they <it> splatter <laughs> it. Um, and so, walking as you can imagine, me me showing the home, walking in. I mean, you could. You, there's a stench, but you walk in, it's like, I'm sorry, guys. But it's right? got potential. Yeah, it's got it's potential.
1: <laughs> potential. <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing a real paint
2: paint can handle. Um, <laughs> it's stucco. I promise it's stucco. Those, 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 are, it's those stucco. are the two. Those are the two things. Um, the other thing is again just telling me they're going to be gone, but they're not at home. Imagine just you know sitting in your underwear watching TV. Uh, I've walked into uh, voyeurs, you know, someone taking pictures of of themselves in one of the rooms. Wow, I've seen yeah, I've seen all kinds of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it just depends, you know. Again, like they had mentioned, one always wants to get out more than the other. Someone's trying to sabotage it. They're not ready. They don't know what's going on. They haven't faced their truth about hey, this is really over. Yeah, this is the last step, right? This is, la- this is the usually this is the the last step. We got to get this done so we can move on. It's the one thing tying them truly together if there's no kids. Yeah. Right? I hear you, man. So those, yeah, those are, those are the biggest things. Well, that those I are I great. Saying. Those are great. Well,
1: <laughs> I really want to thank all our guests. That was some some great conversation. And we didn't even get into drones. So how about that? But it's <laughs> yes. great conversation. I really want to thank our guests, Hal Turoff from Greenwich Law Group, Josh Berengard from Buzzer Realty, and Terry Vanover from Choosing to Rise You can find all their information at the website and at our podcast site where we'll have contact information and everything if you want to get hold of any of them. So thanks again.
4: And thanks for joining the Split Ready podcast. And if you or someone you know is considering or going through a divorce, please go to the Split Ready website and take the assessment. Find out if you are indeed Split Ready. And remember that you can get through your divorce with your finance, your integrity, and hopefully some sanity intact.
2: Amen. Yes, thank you. See you next
4: month.